Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome back to the Lantern Roo Cycling Podcast, supported by LaCole, the produced performance cycling apparel. Here with Benji Nyson for the wrap-up of Criterium de Dauphiné Stage 8, supposed to be the chaotic final mountain stage. We had a big mountaintop finish yesterday, and today... It's not a mountaintop finish, but they do have maybe the hardest climb in the race. 148 k's short. The first half of the stage, it's got two long climbs, both 12 k's, five, five and a half percent, but they're not steep. It's not like those Basque Country, sometimes early climbs, like in the Basque Country last stage, which are like 3k, 9 percent, back to back, can actually break the race up apart. Whereas these sort of climbs, Runners like Van Baal, etc., no problem for them. Descent and then long valley from 84 to 120 k's in, so 40 k's valley. Then the Col de Juplan, 11.7 k's, 8.5%. I think Pantani holds the record. It's a nasty climb. There's often gaps on it, which they used in the tour more. Then descent to Morazine, then an uphill nasty drag to the finish in Leger. I think it's oh, it says 2.4Ks, 4.6%, but it's more like 5Ks at, you know, 3%. Uh, but, yeah, Benji, big breakaway. Struggling to get my words out. And some look what looked like satellite riders in it. Yes, certainly. We had uh, quite a few teams that sent someone forward for their leader. For example, Madua for Godou, perhaps. We had... Uh, Vingegaard for a Kreiswijk, perhaps, or a Gus, we don't know yet. Anarkos and Arviti are perhaps the most important ones for Movistar to try and set something up for Lopez and or Maas. Then Conrad up there for Gelderman. And that just keeps on going. We've got so many riders that could come into play near the end of the stage for their leaders. Also some other breakaway riders, including Valgren, Gilmartin, so forth. But all in all, this breakaway at the start, well, it... Also had Button, very important name that I forgot to mention earlier. But um, this breakaway didn't really, well, explode early on on the first climb or something. It kind of stayed a pretty large group. And it was towards the um, bottom of the Jouplin only that this break started falling apart. And the likes of Arviti and Arcas were already getting dropped just before that foot happened. Which means that we were thinking perhaps those Movistar riders could come into play. And Movistar could do something because unexpectedly... They had not done anything for the entire stage so far. Colombier, RV, on both those climbs in the peloton, nothing happened. Ineos trying to control a decent tempo to make sure, well, I guess that Ford is staying safe at the front of the peloton, watching if anybody's going to make a move. But we didn't see any moves on the early two climbs. A bit disappointing, I guess, but somewhat expected with the valley before the Juplan, as we mentioned yesterday. But um, it's a bit we pointless, went to the- though. Like what? Yeah. So you we mentioned them as satellite riders. What's this Col de Juplan, eight and a half percent average, and the steepest sections at the bottom too? What's the point in having a satellite, two satellite riders up the road, not in the main group, if you're not going to use them in the valley? It's basically maybe they just wanted them as insurance in case it broke apart on the Arabian yeah. Colombia. Like it's 
satellite riders are only useful when they can actually pull for you. And these guys, we saw, I remember we were like, oh, Arcas is a satellite rider from Movistar yesterday. He pulled for them for like 15 seconds on the climb yesterday. And then he was like, this is too steep and too much. <laughs> so like, he seems almost, yeah, a bit strange from Movistar. ISN as well were pacing. For Hermans, maybe. I don't know. Movistar also paced a little bit. Conrad was not even just a satellite rider. He's at 250 on GC. So I put a lot of pressure on Ineos. Uh, but, yeah, they pretty much brought it into the final climb. And what was the – Benji, if you're Ineos, what's your plan on that final climb? Like you're just pure defense. You don't have to – there's no onus on you to do anything, right? Exactly. Just play defensively. You've got three of the stronger climbers in the race with Gegenhardt, Thomas, and – and you've got ports. So even if it comes down to those three, Gegenhardt is going to be able to close a lot and actually stay up there quite a lot to try and just set a tempo and see if that's enough to try and counter anything that comes from the Movistar camp or whatever other camp. But I do want to I do want to mention that the satellite riders could still come into play even if it wasn't for the Valley before Jouplan. Because for example, let's say that a rider is still a minute ahead of the elite group at the top of Jouplan, then you can try and do something in the descent or on top of the Jouplan and it could come in handy for the final few kilometers of this stage, which is that five second, well, kind of uphill falls flat to the line, you know? So that's where I was expecting perhaps these ones that weren't used, satellite riders that weren't used yet so far, could perhaps come into play if they're still ahead of the peloton. But it exploded in the breakaway the moment that they hit the Jouplan because Mark Badun just rode away from everybody. That's it. And um, there's not much else to say about that. Guillaume Martin held on for the longest, I think, together with uh, Vingegaard. And, and Conrad, then yeah. they were dropped. Yeah, Conrad, yes, correct. Guillaume Martin actually dropped back a lot. It was indeed Vingegaard and Conrad that were the last two uh, men to see Patton off on his adventure. So Patton instantly making a serious gap up to like five seconds. And that was three minutes ahead of the peloton. Did you think they were going to catch him at that point? No. Nah. Didn't I thought not for a second they were catching Pudun because he well first of all Ineos don't really care or do not care about Pudun at all. No one took it up, and when I saw Kvyatkovsky pacing, he's just pacing to keep it together. And then Pudun after yesterday's performance, if he repeats that, um, he's winning the stage. Given that they started with a two thirty buffer. Now what I didn't expect was for him to put a minute onto the peloton and GC group on this climb, which is. <laughs> insane and he put i think <laughs> a minute 50 into conrad and Wingergaard. um it, it's yeah i mean i will do the stage win first padun wins this stage he rides away from everybody and no one even gets close to him i mean we thought he might have been there as a satellite rider a, a genuine satellite rider for haig but he's he's the strong he's been the strongest climber in this race and um i mean the elf, yes Let's say that you come into a situation where someone like Padun is up the road and is having the stage win, but you have an attack with Haig, for example, behind, and he can actually win GC if you pull him back. What do you say to Haig? Uh, to uh, to uh, Padun? I don't know. It's a tough question because that literally did happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah uh, to be honest, I think, I think Bahrain could have – they denied themselves a chance to win GC here. Um, but they got back-to-backs. They got three stage wins in the week. The thing about this, Benji, Bahrain victorious could have won six of the eight stages here, including the Valverde stage and the TT. Yeah. If they brought a, a ruler to help close gaps in the first five stages, they could have won four 
and then <laughs> Padun won back-to-back mountain stages. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the elephant in the room is people asking me already, you know, is this credible performance, etc. I mean, we can't answer that. We don't know. I mean, Padun would have been tested straight after winning the stage yesterday. If you come, if you win a stage the World Tour, you'll be tested straight away, and he's cleared to start today. So. Um, all good from that regard. And uh, we'll wait to see. Uh, he's got to go to the Tour, in my view. I mean, there's no way you don't take yeah, him to the Tour de France. You, you have to. He could even be, I'm not sure what his TT is like, but not good. That bad, if I, I think. But if you climb like this, I and mean, he didn't break Pantani's record, but yeah, he put a minute into the peloton. Yes, we don't have the Slovenians here, but still, this he's climbing at an insane level. So um yeah, be interesting to see what happens uh, at the tour. Are you any thoughts on Padun before we swing back to the GC action, Benji? No, I think I agree with everything you say. Is or answer your own not... question oh, as I'm well. Scared. Oh, um, for the Dauphiné, I would say that Padun should go for the stage. And if it's yeah. in the tour, then Padun needs to get rid of the stage and Haig gets GC. That's more important. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah. If Haig was on like 10 seconds or something, but the thing is, yeah, if you could have had the same logic yesterday and then maybe Haig doesn't win GC and then they don't have the back-to-back stage win. So, yeah, I think it's almost – to tell a guy who's three minutes out of the peloton riding away to a sure victory to sit up is <laughs> – you'd rarely see that. But before you circle back to the GC action – uh, I want to mention our show partner, LaCole. They have the LaCole collaboration with the Hot Root Pro Aero jersey. Speaking of mountains, which you've just been doing, they've just released that in the last week. If you want to check that out, that's been popular in previous years. It's also the Pro Air jerseys, which Benji and I both have and like very much. They're great for summer, great for climbs. Pair them with the base layer bundle. They do bundles, LaCole, which, I mean, the, the base layer right now is practically free combined with the Pro Air jersey. So go and check that out from our show partner, LaCole, L-E-C-O-L dot C-C. But back to the GC group, Benji, pretty much got in action. Movistar weren't pacing at all. Verona eventually started pacing. Ineos sort of just slow paced with Kwiatkowski, Van Baal, and then et cetera. Did you think, what would your plan have been if you were Movistar? Would it have been to light up that climb, especially given that Port was stronger than Lopez yesterday on the climb? Well, initially, I would already think that I would try to go early on the stage. What is there to lose if you try and go on the Colombier or something like that with Moss and just try and go towards the breakaway with your two riders and put pressure that way on Ineos? They're going to have to ride after you. You're 1 minute 15 behind or something going into the stage, something like that, if I recall correctly. So. I'm guessing that that was an option and now you don't really have you you haven't really used mass at this point and there's no point between that moment and the top where you can say our mass needs to make a move or something so it's a bit too early on the plan to start thinking about a plan then your only plan left is go ham and hope that the rest can't follow but Lopez has shown decent quality the last few weeks but I did not believe he was going to straight up drop port here on the climb so yeah, I guess that it didn't really work out. And then Movistar had indeed two riders at the front pacing for a tiny bit that actually got rid of Kwiatkowski for a bit and Kwiatkowski dropped. So Ineos was left to the only three riders they had, Gegenhardt, Thomas and Port. And then one Movistar rider went off the front. Ferona went off the front. 
And then it was other people that needed to take over because I think, was it Haig that attacked first or who was it? I think Lopez attacked and yep. then got brought back really quickly by yeah, Gagan Hart. And then Haig actually had a big dig. He's 38 seconds behind on GC. Kreuzweig, we should have mentioned, Kreuzweig and Quintana had tried to attack as a brief note. Kreuzweig was sitting 34, 40 seconds out of the peloton on this climb. And Vingegaard, and by the way, there was, yeah. no, there was no chance Vingegaard and Conrad were winning the stage once Padun went. Like, they were losing time hand over fist. And basically you had Vingegaard pulling in front and then Kreuzweig trying to bridge whilst Vingegaard pulling. So yeah. that made no sense, but uh, Kreuzweig probably didn't have the legs. Anyway, just... And and Kreuzweig was attacking whilst Kuz was dropping. So not a good day for Jumbo Visma. It all went wrong for them and they didn't really help themselves tactically either. But yeah, Haig attacks. And this is where we, you know, yeah, Padun maybe could have helped, but I don't think Padun could have helped Haig on the descent. I think Haig's a better descender than Padun from what we saw afterwards. I think Thomas was huge for... Richie Port because before at the end of Juplan there's like a it's not as steep and Thomas was absolutely ripping it chasing Haig he did not want to go into the descent with a 15 second deficit to Jack Haig uh, so he caught, catches back up to Haig immediately on the descent Izaguirre goes on the front attacking with Lutsenko Haig gets onto their wheel Haig a good descender as well Izaguirre obviously in Benji and I's top three top you know descenders in the world maybe and we've got Port distanced and Thomas is closing gaps for him. Eventually, they get to a hairpin. Thomas crashes after he's caught back up to the Izaguirre group in this hairpin. In fact, no, Benji, that's not what happened. Thomas was in the group with Lutsenko, yeah. Izaguirre, and and uh, Haig. But anyway, he crashes at the back of that group. And we were thinking, that's a tricky situation for him because does he go back to help Paul or not? Anyway, the group come, that sort of opens the gap up more. Thomas gets back up, doesn't look injured. And then Port's gapped on the descent, having to chase on the long straightaways he's making back up the time, losing time in the technical sections. Were you surprised to see Godou and O'Connor closing gaps to Port on that descent to the two Astana riders and Hay? Yeah, I think that it is indeed something I didn't expect, but I also think that afterwards, we'll go into it in a bit, some other riders are going to do exactly the same. So I think that every single camp made mistakes today tactically. I think that Ineos might not have been in the situation where Thomas is now behind Port and so forth, if they perhaps, I don't know, would you keep Thomas in the group of, of Port instead of having him in the wheel of the others attacking? Or you think it benefits that he's ahead as well? I don't know. I think, no, I think you'd have to drop him back and because he's going to be really, really useful and, and fast on that final section. I think you'd have to drop him back because there's no bonus seconds on the line because he's still yeah. got a, he's still got a leapfrog Lutsenko, so he can't just exactly. sit in. So if he's going to be in that group, he has to then have a plan to attack. And I think maybe he sandbags and and that sort of demotivates Izaguirre, but I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's like the Kelderman Hindley situation last year. Yep. It's it's tough to to call. Uh, but in the end, Port was good on that descent. I think Port. Yep. Um, I think Port just rode within himself, backed his legs to close the gaps later. And then, um, yeah, we, we get into this group. We've got Padun's won the stage. Ten bonus seconds are gone. Vingegaard and Conrad, by the way, are about a minute ahead of this group, maybe even less. Uh, let me look where they finished. Yeah, so <laughs> Vingegaard and Conrad, they're about 30 seconds ahead of this group. So Conrad and Bora Hansgrohe. Kelderman on GC, by the way, is out of the top three on GC. We've got a group with Lushenko. 
Kelderman Haig, Lopez, Izaguirre, O'Connor, Godu, and Port. Port is isolated. He's been working on the descent to Astana riders. We've got a Bora rider up the road, Conrad, and we've got a Bora rider wanting to get onto the podium. And the guy who's third on the podium, four seconds ahead of him, is Thomas, who's crashed and is chasing back on. And then Benji and I, I think this is what the most disappointed I've been this year. I'll let Benji speak for himself, but um, uh, you describe what sort of started to happen in that group, Benji, because it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So before the moves would happen, the initial thing that I would have thought about and I was saying, shouting at my screen, is that Conrad should be called back at the moment because in that situation, Conrad's 30 seconds ahead. He's not going to win the stage. Fingercard can just roll off alone. Conrad needs to get to the group of Calderman and start pacing because Thomas is just behind trying to get back on. If you have Conrad chasing in the Calderman group, he's getting on the podium because... Thomas versus Conrad, well, Thomas can still pace quite a bit, so it would have been still a bit of a challenge, but it's your opportunity to get on the podium for Kelderman if you let Conrad actually drop back and help you out there. But no, Conrad just kept on riding. So Conrad's out of the situation, no satellite rider usage on Bora, didn't think about it. Now, second situation, attacks in that group, and an attack that came was Kelderman. And who closed it? Lutsenko. I think Lutsenko closed it for Richie Port, which was pretty well, – it just doesn't make sense. So, like, the, the whole – the guys were in the yellow jersey. If you want to win the race, I know this seems like really straightforward logic, <laughs> but to win to win the race, you have to beat the guy with the yellow jersey. He's isolated. You haven't really gapped him on the descent, but he's had to work. Work him over. And so, yeah, Lutsenko closes the gap to Kelderman, which – like make Port close it and call it. You got to make him close it and tire him out because Lushenko closes it. Eventually, Izagiri counters and finally Port had to do some work. But Izagiri was looking back. He didn't didn't seem like he invested fully. And like Hague's the guy that's really tried over the top of Col de Joux plan and on the descent. And then Hague counters off after Port brings back Izagiri. Who marks him? Wilco Kelderman marks Haig and then <laughs> I'm sure so Kelderman starts to man mark Haig because he's trying to protect his third on GC because he thinks Thomas is not going to come back and I'm like what is the like the, the attitude within this group was fighting for like scraps fourth and fifth yeah. and, and just, even worse yeah the fact that the second that that move happens where Kelderman responds Lopez responds to that as well and the next move is that Port is on a three-meter gap or something. There's a bit of a gap there. What does Lutsenko do? He goes past Port and closes the gap. What? I don't <laughs> get it. Like, yeah. obviously, he's trying to protect his position against Kelderman, but it's much more beneficial for you if those riders are a tiny bit ahead of you because then they will force Port into chasing, and that's your only opportunity of winning this race at this point because that will cause Port to pace while Thomas is trying to bridge up and that's a perfect situation. But no, he closes the gap for him. Like, ah. Yeah. I think a lot of these guys really showed their cards as guys happy to win, to, to just come third and in, in a world tour stage race, which is fine. But they didn't really have a completely winning attitude. I think the exception to that is Jack Hay. Call me biased, obviously, but I think Hay, I tri- he tried on Cold as you plan. He tr- like fully, he went fully, you know, and had Thomas, it only took Thomas basically chasing full to close him. He tried on the descent with the Astana guys. He tried a couple of times in the valley as well. So, 
yeah, he tried fully. Lopez maybe didn't have the legs. Astana, maybe they, they also just didn't have the legs, Benji. But it's, when you see two yeah. guys finishing in the final group, it, it seems that they've just maybe they got the wrong way around. Maybe it was Lutsenko who should have been pacing for Izagira and then Izagira countering. I'm not sure. Uh, but Port was credit to Port. He made he stayed upright on the descent. He looked strong in the flat, false flat finish. Maybe they never would have dropped him anyway, and he kept his composure. So credit to him as well. But yeah, Thomas comes back, Benji, and then what happens? Well, if Thomas com- comes back, then you know that Thomas is just going to go and ride to the front of the group and hammer it until the line because he's going to try and close down any attacks that follow. And that's exactly what happened. And we saw it coming from miles away. And that's basically how the stage ended because there's nothing else someone else can do because Thomas is back and is pacing again. What are they going to do? Well, Filutsenko needs to try for another attack, but he's going into the final kilometer then. So that's not going to happen 17 seconds in one kilometer unless you've got a Roglic-like Murdehui attack on a non murder like slope so yeah i it's just i think there's a lot of missed opportunities for many people here i don't think that they don't have the legs is the excuse for astana because there's just blatant tactical failures there like closing gaps for others that don't have anything to do with the, the legs because if you don't have the legs then you won't be closing gaps for others either so it's a bit of a combination there and i think that and the majority Conrad. of riders it's getting yeah, Conrad, Conrad to sit decision. up that seems like low hanging fruit as well. Yeah. Um, like there's no, oh well, Conrad wouldn't have had the legs. No, you get him to sit up for two yep. minutes and in the valley and, and get him to say Wilco, I want you to you know attack as hard as you can, get to Conrad's wheel and he's going to pace you and you, he'll be able to sit in that wheel. He would because he was able to sit yep. in Thomas' wheel and Thomas was absolutely motoring. And no one could attack off that pace. And the GC group rides to the line with the exception of Ben O'Connor, who attacked. He was the last guy who did get away. And yep. because he's so far back on GC a minute back, Port and Co. didn't really care. So the final stage results, very, very strange. Mark Pudun winning back-to-back mountain stages, a minute 36 ahead of Wingergaard and Conrad, who were on the same time. Then O'Connor fourth, 157. 13 seconds ahead of Guru, Thomas, Lutschenko, Port, Haig, Martin, Lopez, Kelderman, Izaguirre, all on the same time. So a large group there. And Rick Mars losing quite a bit of time. GC doesn't even change at all. It's so weird. Port, 17 seconds ahead of Lutschenko, wins Kratim de Dauphine, 29 seconds ahead of Thomas. I mean, absolutely outstanding from Thomas to crash, come back, make, you know, protect Port's GC and get a podium. Outstanding from Thomas. Keldman fourth on 33, Haig fifth, 34. Then Lopez Izaguirre, six and seven on 38. O'Connor on eight, eighth on 47. Then Guru on 112. I mean, seeing how tight those GC gaps are there, Benji, you know, it is a bit disappointing, I think, uh, that people didn't try fully. But anyway, the positive is Richie Port, Benji's won Tour de Suisse, <laughs> Romandie, Catalonia, what else? Paris twice, Tour Down Under, the most important. Uh, but now the second most important, probably stage race win of his career, Gertim de Dauphiné. Does this change your thinking for how Ineos will play out the Tour de France? Well, the rumor that he was going to Ineos last year just to be a domestique shouldn't be happening, that's for sure. But um, I think that he should be co-leader. I think their problem is quite clear. The fact that the competition knows that the Sens are their weakness. And 
it's been like that for a while now. Port has had it for years. Port was decent on the descent today, but have this on every descent of the Tour de France, and he's going to get in trouble on one. And I think that the competition will know that that is their weakness and that is how they can strike against Ineos. And I don't necessarily know how you can protect yourself against descent attacks once that is your weakness. It's, it's like something where you... Yeah, you can't counter that by attacking early or anything like that. I don't know. I think oh, it maybe made a bit of a difference that Izaguirre and Lushenko were tied, but certainly... Yeah, it's it's a flaw. And Thomas as well, like he crashed in. He got lucky. To, Ineos got a bit lucky today. What if Thomas, yeah. if his derailleur, he, he laid it down on the right side, his derailleur could have been cooked. And then what? And then maybe it plays out differently for Port. So, yeah, it seems like dissenter and handling are a big problem for both of those two. And that's why you almost need a third co-leader for them in Carapaz or I thought Adam Yates because he doesn't have that problem. Um but, yeah, the tour, it's looking like Richie is a really – I mean, tactically having two leaders, if you want to – there's no better example of how that worked to Ineos' advantage uh, better than this week at the Dauphiné where everyone thinks Thomas is the main leader. He attacks on that stage on the, the flat, gets back into sort of prime position in third. Everyone, Novostar, are concerned about him. Yesterday, Thomas, let's – Port roll off the front as the second leader who gets marked by the second leader for Movistar and then Port so good he's able to pretty much drop them all. So, yeah, two leaders worked absolutely perfectly for Ineos here at the Dauphiné. There's no egos as well. Thomas pacing yeah. for Port today. Um, automatically, maybe Port will pay him back in the Tour. But, yeah, do you think Benji at the Tour, they need a third guy, more of a handling, aggressive guy like Carapaz or Yates? I think they do. I think they do. And that is also because the fact that in the Giro, they had two leaders as well. They had um, Thomas there and Bernal there. And another Giro, sorry, the other one, uh, Tireno <laughs> on Prato di Tivo. And Pogacar just played with them like they were toys. He just destroyed them on Prato di Tivo, just tactically alone. And they're going to need to find three levels well, three good levels on those three leaders to be able to compete against the Roglic and Pogacar because I think that Jumbo is also going to be there with multiple leaders. But let's talk about one thing related to Jumbo here. Gus, what the hell happened today? I mean, it's not, but he does this in Grand Tours all the time. We just don't notice yeah. it as much. Sometimes he just isn't there in the final or gets dropped on the climb. Uh, but because he's a domestique, People are just having an off day, whereas, yeah, you can't afford that in a stage race. So I think the Coos GC experiment is not going well this year. He lost a lot of time today. Where did he come? Coos came 60th on this stage with, you know, he gave up basically with Timo Rusin and Sturvin 14 minutes back. So bad TT, went too early and blew up yesterday, cracked today. I mean, maybe he's tired from altitude possible for sure but um he's certainly not contesting the tour de france anytime soon um so yeah but do i think that'll affect how he pulls for Roglic? no i don't see this as a problem really i mean he i'm sure he'll be fine and he'll do what Mm -hmm. he does yeah but what do you think about coos yeah i think the same i think that the gc experiment experiment is just not going as well as they hoped it would then again he's he's okay with being a domestique he's said that quite a few times already and there are riders that are just destined to be a domestique for a while until they, at some point, possibly can create a GC 
around him, but it doesn't seem to be too soon in the cards for Kazan. Definitely with the Tour de France parkour, let's be real, his time trials are nowhere near good enough to compete for GC there. So he he's luxury domestique at the Tour, and we know that. Now, um, obviously, Jumbo will still be with multiple leaders at the Tour, most likely. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen there, how they're going to do that. Um, but I don't think Kazan is going to be one of them. I think AG2R need to go all in on Ben O'Connor for GC at the Giro next year. Yeah, they they get they've committed to him three years. I think uh, the smart from them they might have got him at yes. a discount. I think this guy can podium a Grand Tour. I really like. I mean, I didn't like the closing the gap for Port, but he's just he doesn't he doesn't care about the Port and GC. I, I guess dynamics. He's just thinking how do I get on the podium? And he's seen Thomas drop, and he wants to get back to Lushenko and his Aguirre. I guess. Uh, but yeah, fifth yesterday, fourth today, and he attacked. So he's best of the GC group today. Uh, attacking, but they did let him go. Second on the Tour de Romandie stage, oh, he would have been third, Thomas crashed. Uh, sixth on GC there, eighth on GC. The TT is okay. Seems like it's just okay. Um, and he seems like his climbing's outstanding. So, yeah, I think Giro suits him more because his TT's not um, not outstanding. But, yeah, or do you think Tour de France, Benji? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm I'm not sure about it. I can't tell you that. I think that Giro indeed fits him better because of the longer climbs that are also present. And we've seen him last year in the Giro do better on those. Then again, in this Tour de France, then it's also pretty uh, pretty long climbing when it comes to the parkour, when it comes to the limited amount of climbs. It's not like you've got Primari-like finishes too much in this year's Tour de France. So it really depends on the parkour of the race. I, I'm curious to see what happens because... It was one of the riders that I think a few years ago, I don't remember when, but he topped in the Giro in 2016, something like that. Very vaguely, I remember that. I could be wrong in that, but um, that's at least what I remember. Um, nonetheless, I think that he's changed team and he's shown a lot since then. And he's shown a different side to him and he seems to be back on the GC thing after after quite simply not having a great GC years at Dimension Data back in the days, you know? So I think all in all, he's moving forward and I'm happy to see that. Yeah, he's really good. I mean, he's probably on the precipice of a guy he could, worst case, he could now waste the next four years, five years of his career going for GC and only getting fourth and uh, best fourth in a Grand Tour versus he could be a guy to just go for one week stage races and then almost be guaranteed a win at any Grand Tour he turns up to oh. from, a, from a break in the mountains. Yeah. I found it. He was 12th in uh, in the Giro 2018 until he crashed on, on stage 19. So oh, really? he displayed very uh, good GC prowess there already. And his time trials were indeed uh, his weakness there as well. With all in all a good performance that year, that was the one where uh, Yates was still in the lead. And then the day after, not the one that Fruma went crazy on. And he was strong in the third week of the Giro last year, back-to-back breaks. He came second behind Tratnik and then won the next day up uh, the final climb. So, yeah, Ben O'Connor, a man to watch, could podium a Grand Tour and, you know, it won't be out of nowhere, I don't think. But, yeah, this Dauphiné, I found it actually pretty entertaining for the most part. There's a lot of tension in it I mean, some and some weird results. Luchenko coming second in, in the Dauphiné GC. I didn't expect that. We did expect Ineos to have two guys in the top three. Um, 
And yeah, Bahrain with Cold Brelli and Mark Ledun being so dominant, certainly wasn't expecting that either. Uh, but yeah, any last thoughts on the, the Dauphiné Benji before we wrap up and watch the Tour de Swiss TT? I enjoyed the race, genuinely. I think that I'm more looking forward to the Tour de Swiss personally because I like the parkour more. And I feel like during the Dauphiné, I still had a bit of post-Giro uh, like relaxedness going back into cycling. Because we had a hangover. We had a, yeah, we had a hangover. That's exactly what I was looking for, that word. And with the Tour de Swiss, it's a parkour that I do like and I'm looking forward to uh, diving into. So uh, let's give that a try. All right. Till next time, we'll see you with the recap of Tour de Suisse tomorrow on YouTube and the podcast plays. It'll be a separate bonus episode. We've got to go watch Dumo's return in a second. So look out for that as a separate episode. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 